Good morning. Welcome. We are so glad you're here. All right. I'm trying not to ring out too loud. I've got a new mic on, and so that may be a part of what is going on here. If you hear me too loud, raise your hand, wave at me, just don't stand up and go out. If you are visiting with us today, it's a joy to have you. We thank you for being with us. There is a, a, a little birdie, <laughs> not Miss Bertie, but a little birdie told me that there is somebody that is having a special birthday today. And um, I can't tell you her initials, but her name is Miss Lunell Hinton. We, we are glad that you're here today on your birthday. Is today, today is your birthday? Okay. Well, that's nice. Let's, let's sing happy birthday to her. How about that? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Miss Lunell. Happy birthday to you. You're most welcome. I will. Does anybody else have a birthday today? How about October? Anybody else have a birthday in October? Oh, okay. Well, happy birthday to you. And uh, anybody else? Oh, okay. Well, happy birthday to you all. We are so, well, we're, we're going to have to uh, do something else. So we'll have a party. How about that? Jerry, we'll get you to get the hot dogs and uh, the ice cream and the cake. Put it, <laughs> put it all together. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 7. Again, thank you. If you're visiting with us, we are delighted you're here. Thank you. And um, we appreciate your being present at Corinth Baptist Church today. Acts chapter 7. We're going to look at Stephen's testimony or Stephen's address as he proclaims the gospel. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word if you're able to? Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 7. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? He's addressing Stephen. And he, Stephen, said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives, and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran, and from there... When his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. 
God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. May we pray together. Holy Spirit of God, move mightily in our midst today through your word in our hearing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Here is a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, speaking the Word of God. Some didn't like it. Some did not appreciate it, especially the way that he spoke it. This chapter represents a turning point in the life of Israel, in their history. It records the third murder of a godly man. John the Baptist first, Jesus second, and now Stephen. It also marks their final rejection and opportunity to follow Jesus Christ before God sets them aside in their rejection of Jesus as their Messiah. They rejected their King of kings and Lord of lords. Make no mistake about it. What is going on in Israel now is not by any accident whatsoever. I'm not going to preach on that today. I will at some point, but not today. But, but because we are that close in what's happening here in the Bible and what is happening in Israel now, all of it comes to head at some point in time. Our decisions, our choices have consequences. And that's what's playing out in Israel. They are still God's people. They will be God's people. And we must never forget that, and we must never wash our hands of Israel. We must be in support of them. Because we have our salvation because of them. 
And because of the scriptures come through them, that's why we have God's word today. So let's be aware that what is happening in Israel has everything to do with us as Christians as well. What I want us to see today is because of Israel's perpetual rebellion and perpetual rejection that what went on in this particular day at this particular point with this particular person that I'm speaking about, Stephen, I want us to see how he moves with the Spirit of God and what challenges happen here throughout this chapter and what we need to do and take note of for our lives today. I want you to note in the first place the perpetual rebellion of man. Stephen represents the lordship of Christ over his life. But what Israel represents is the continuation of that rebellion of man and how we have fallen from the time in the Garden of Eden, even today, how rebellious we are to God. We have God's law. We have God's word. But we fail to live up to God's standards. Stephen was a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit of God. And he was a man who lived out that faith and that belief. Notice in Stephen's life and what he preached on this particular occasion. Stephen was accused of blasphemy. Look back in chapter 6 at verse 8 and follow with me up to the beginning of chapter 7. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. God used Stephen in a mighty, marvelous, miraculous way to show his signs and his power and his filling of a life of a man that was given and committed to Christ. And the fullness of following the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit that through this one person... God moved mightily in the lives of people through Stephen. But because of that, verse 9, Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen, disagreeing with Stephen, arguing with Stephen. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like what stands he took. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke because he was speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. That's one of the things when, when you hear of people telling lies about someone, know that that is of the devil. It's not of God. And especially against the person of God or man of God. 
Don't take it lightly. If you claim to know Christ, your responsibility when you hear such a thing is to not go along with it, not agree with it, and not follow it. They stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came upon them and seized Stephen and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Let me... Please, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. (laughs) You may not have ever heard that from the pulpit before. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But I want you to follow with me in this. This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Hear what I'm, please hear what I'm going to say and hear it clearly. This building, this place is no more holy than what we make it. It's only holy if holy people Enter it and worship the Holy One from it. There's nothing that makes this building, those pews, this pulpit holy except Christ. I've been in ministry over 50 years. And I've seen people in churches, argue over the color of carpet and even split churches over it. It's ridiculous because we come in this place to worship the Lord God. He is the Holy One. And we are supposed to be the Holy One. Now, it's it's well and good for us to set the building aside and sanctify the building, set it apart for worship. But we are the ones who make it holy or not by our actions and our worship. It is not the building itself. And there's nothing in this word that contradicts that. They said, these false witnesses, this man doesn't cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law, the law of God, the word of God. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And he did. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Then the high priest says, are these things so? And then... 
Stephen begins to preach. And he talks about their rejection of God's covenant with Abraham in verses 1 through 8. Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. He came out of the land of Chaldeans, dwelt in Haran, and from there, when his father died, he moved him to this land which you now dwell. God gave him no inheritance in it, even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give to him a possession, to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way so that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage. The foreigners there in that land would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. And that's what they did when they went down to Egypt. And that's, what they were, that's why they were there in Egypt 400 years in bondage. And I will judge, said God. After that they shall come out of Egypt unto Moses and serve me in this place, this land. Then he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And verse 9 the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. And so the perpetual rebellion of man, we see that throughout the life of Israel as they come out of bondage of Egypt and going down to the promised land for 40 years, they rebelled against God. They rebelled against God. They rebelled against God. God would bless them and they would rebel against him again. God would bless them. They would rebel against God. Over and over and over, they rebelled against God. And that's what Stephen was pointing out here. They rejected God's covenant with Abraham, verses 1 through 8. They rejected Joseph in verses 9 through 16. But God was with Joseph. They sold Joseph. His own brother sold him into slavery. And God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. And he had troubles even there, even in favor, in the favor of the Pharaoh, and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all of his house. A famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. The second time Joseph was made known to his brothers that came. You remember the story. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all of his relatives and 75 people came down to Egypt to, to dwell during the famine. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died there. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abram bought for some of money from the sons of Hamar. The rejection of God's covenant with Abraham, the rejection of Joseph. They also rejected Moses. Look at verses 17 and following. 
But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abram, the people grew multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with the people of God and oppressed the people of God and exposed their babies and killed their babies. At this time, Moses was born. Well-pleasing to God he was, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. Verse 21. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. You remember the story. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, was mighty in the words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Verse 24, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him and struck him down, killed him. For he supported, he supposed that his brethren would would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting. Men, you are brethren, why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? And at that Moses fled, he ran for his life. Verse 30, And when forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. The Lord said to him, take your sandals off, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Let me repeat, there's nothing holy about this building unless the Lord God makes it holy. And unless we make it holy by our holy life. And that's the only way that a place becomes holy. Take off your sandals, your own Holy ground. I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Moses said, Lord, they, they rejected me. Who, who made you ruler and a judge? Is, is, is the one God sent to be a ruler and deliver by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. So Moses leads them out of Egypt. And he's in the wilderness with the children of Israel. And not only did they reject the Lord God, they rejected Joseph. They've rejected Moses' leadership. They even cried at some point, one point, let's, let's choose our own leader and go back to Egypt. After 400 years of, of, of pain and bondage and suffering there in Egypt, they, after a little while in the wilderness, wanted to go back to where they were calling on God to get them out of and to deliver them from. 
they were more than willing to kill Moses, choose their own leader, and go back to Egypt. Makes sense, doesn't it? We do foolish things. We really do. We make bad decisions and bad choices. And and when we do, we still expect God to bless us in it. That's the amazing thing that gets me. The perpetual rebellion of man. And then verses 42 through 50, they rejected the prophets. Then God, verse 42, then God turned and and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch, the star of your god Raphim, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of wilderness, a tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that had been uh, that he had seen which our fathers having received in turn also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob my friend You can reject God, but so far. Look at verse 51. But go back, go back to verse 49. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Oh, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? See, God... God's made everything. Everything is God's. Right? I mean, everything is God's. We have nothing. Nothing. We are nothing without God. Verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Now, friends, that's, that's quite a predicament. That's quite a comment to have someone say, especially the God who created you. And the God who wants to bless you and give you a land of your own and do more for you than you could ever think of yourself You stiff-necked, you uncircumcised in heart. I tell you what, if you want to cuss somebody, that's what you need to be saying to cuss somebody. You don't need to say these cuss words that we have today. This is more detrimental to someone than they are. You stiff-necked. You just think about it. How do you like to go around with a stiff neck all the time? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always 
always resist the Holy Spirit. What your fathers did, you also do. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayer and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of the angels and have not kept it. The word of God. They rejected God. They rejected the covenant with Abraham. They rejected Joseph. They rejected Moses. They rejected the prophets. Perpetual resistance to the Holy Spirit. When they heard these things, verse 54, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at Stephen with their teeth, meaning they were furious. <laughs> Someone that tells you like it is. Someone that tells you the truth. Someone that proclaims truth. And, and you're going to cut their feet off out from under them someone that doesn't mean you any harm whatsoever and in truth I want someone to be truthful with me I want someone to, 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 to tell me the truth and be honest with me that I can look them in the face and know that they're speaking the truth and I can trust them but I don't want someone that can tell me the truth and tell someone else the truth in a different way and with different words and then someone else, something else that's not truthful either. You can't trust that. They were mad with Stephen because Stephen told them the truth. He spoke the word of God and they resisted and rejected God and the leaders that he sent them. Verse 51, we just looked at. Verses 52 and 53. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. I mean, listen. Jesus is coming again one day. He's the just one. He is coming again. You can put that down. You can carry it to the bank. But they didn't, they didn't like that. They killed those who told them that. Of whom you now become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law, the word of God, by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They were hard people, stiff-necked, inflexible. They would go their own way. They would die going their own way, doing their own thing, rather than to listen to God's word and follow it. A hard people. They were heathenistic. 
Uncircumcised means uncivilized, unbelievers. They followed the rebellion of their fathers and their fathers' fathers. They were unrepentant. They were murderers. They killed the prophets. They killed their fathers. They persecuted the preachers. They murdered them. And the murderers of Holy One Himself, Jesus the Christ. A bunch of uncivilized lawbreakers is what he was saying they were. Man's nature has not changed, beloved. Man's nature is the same. Sexual immorality, pornography of all kinds, seeking of normalization of homosexuality, abortion, the same kind, beheading of babies, killing of innocent bystanders. Man has not changed. Perpetual rebellion. Perpetual rejection. But Stephen didn't leave it there. He spoke of a perpetual reward if they follow Jesus. Verses 55 and following. They gnashed at him with their teeth. The last part of verse 54 says, that's what, you know, that they were so mad. Mm. You ever got so mad you just greased your teeth? You just, mm. That's what's, what they were like when they, Looked at Stephen. But he, verse 55, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Now, they saw Stephen. They looked at Stephen and they saw him standing there. Verse 53. And the face, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, verse verse 55, but being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the, uh, Stephen, he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Well, they saw Stephen as a fa- with the face of an angel, as, a, as of the face of an angel, standing before them, recounting all of this. And then as they furiously gnashed at him with their teeth, Stephen is standing there. He's full of the Holy Spirit as he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You don't have to, you don't have to wonder where Jesus is today. Jesus is seated by the right hand of the Father. Jesus is seated. He's seated on his throne. He's right by the right hand, the right hand of the Father. Now, that I, I, I hope that doesn't offend the left-handed people. That he's on the right hand of the Father and not the left hand. Jesus is there. Jesus has his eye. I believe Jesus has his one eye on the Father and one eye on the earth. And he's 
waiting for the father to say, Son, it's closing time. Go get our children and bring them home. But Stephen looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at this point in time. Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56. Then... Oh, then, they didn't like that. They, Stephen proclaimed that. Stephen preached that. They didn't like that. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and then ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses to the stoning laid down their clothes at a young man named Who? Saul. Who was Saul? He later became the Apostle Paul. (laughs) But he was standing there, and he was agreeing to it. There is a perpetual reward. Now, folks, I want you to listen. There's, There's a cost to count. Please don't misunderstand. Don't miss that. There is a cost involved in following Jesus Christ. There is a cost. It's a high cost. It's a cost of your life. A life of commitment, a life of surrender, a life of submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the cost involved. And that's the cost that Stephen paid. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling out to God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice again, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. There is a cost involved, but it is a reward, and there is a reward at the end of it. There is a life reward that is out of this world. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's literally out of this world. Because there is a place called heaven. Heaven. Where Jesus is. Where God the Father is. There is a place. Where the forefathers have gone. There's a place. Where those whom we have followed in believing and following Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, they've gone and they are and they wait for us as they root us on, according to Hebrews. Waiting. Waiting for our gathering there. That cost, however, is high because it includes suffering. It includes suffering for Christ. In his cause. Stephen preached and stood for the Lord Jesus Christ. Truth and judgment. He seemed to be alone in his witness. He seemed to be the only one there. And he was the only one that was being stoned that day. But what he preached that they didn't like. The devil never does like. The truth. But Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, according to verse 55, saw the glory of God. That was a reward. That was a blessing. He saw the glory of God. He saw heaven open. 
he saw Jesus standing. And it was like Jesus was standing there waiting, waiting, waiting for him to come on home. Stephen, rewarded, following Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, encouraged. Verse 56, look, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then rewarded. Oh, what, what though was he like in his death? Same thing he was like in his life. He prayed, Father, forgive them. and Lay not this sin to their charge. Forgive them. Jesus cried, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he ended his life with a blessed sleep. The Bible says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. He's asleep in Jesus. I saw a beautiful young lady the other day that we had the service for at Pooh. Child of God. Calm demeanor over her face as she lay in the casket. And we buried her. But she was asleep in Jesus. We aren't called or saved to satisfy people. We are called and saved to make disciples of people, and followers of Jesus, who obey and yield to the Holy Spirit's leadership. Are you a follower of Christ? Are you yielding to the Holy Spirit's leadership in your life? Are you a disciple of Jesus? The cost is high. But the rewards are great and higher. Pray with me. Lord God, you have called us To stand for you, speak for you, to witness for you, to live for you. You've told us to be holy because you are holy. That doesn't mean perfect. I'm glad it doesn't because I'd never make it. But it does mean forgiven. God, there are those here this morning who may not be saved. There are those here who have never trusted you, Lord, as Lord and Savior. There are those here today who have given their lives to you, Lord Jesus. 
and are seeking to live a life full and submissive to your lordship and leadership. Right now, we pray, our Father, that you would save those who will call out to you, who will turn to you, who will repent, turn from their sins, and trust you to forgive them and cleanse them and save them. And give them abundant life now and eternal life with you forever. The cost is high, yes. But the rewards are so much higher and better. Touch us, move us at the point of our need today. In Jesus' name, amen.